All right, back in the Young Turks. In the last half hour of the Young Turks, let's just remember us today. Uh, we're going to talk about another outrage um, and in regards to Bernie Sanders and an outrage uh, that we uh, alluded to at the end of last night's program, where Ernst and Young was doing this incredibly demeaning uh, presentation to their female executives, pretending that it was empowerment. I have more uh, details on that. TYT.com slash join to become a member to get that. Uh, and But now uh, there's a fair amount of outrage in some of the races that I want to discuss, including uh, the one that our next um, uh, guest is in. So joining me now is Anita Malik. Uh, she is a congressional candidate in Arizona's 6th district, uh, running again this year as she did in the last cycle. Anita, welcome back to the Young Turks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. So. Anita, you did great last time. Uh, you closed what a fourteen-point uh, lead. Like, uh, was it fourteen points that you yes. closed? Yeah, we swung the district fourteen points. Never have been done here against the incumbent David Schweiker. Yeah, so, sure. and uh, and Schweiker's in a lot of trouble. He's got some ethics problems. We'll get back to that in a second. Okay. Um, and since you did so well, uh, the Democratic Party is now bringing in someone else to run in this district, right? So yes, it seems that way. Um, we have been, you know, this has been going on since the beginning of the year. So another candidate. There's actually it's a primary. So there's four of us currently running in this, in this seat. But there feels to be one that has been chosen to run, and we're starting to see the national endorsements come in. That's been the conversation from the get go. You made the comment, bring in to the district because this person does not live in the district, uh, is in a neighboring district, and in fact ran in that district last year. And um, this person happens to be wealthy and have a lot of wealthy donors, correct? Yes, you know this is what I call a money primary. It is about having a list, about having wealthy donors. It's about outside money. It's unfortunate that it's come to that. You know, we proved something last cycle, not only in the general, but also we had a competitive primary last time. We won the district in that competitive primary by nearly four to four to one. Um, in terms of money, and um, I was outspent four to one. And so we thought we had proven something. We did great in the general, considering historical standards. Actually, the opponent I'm up against that is from the other district did the same about as me in the general last cycle as well. So there isn't some idea here of who's the better candidate that the people of this district want. It's really come down to money, and, and that's something that uh, has been is definitely hard to take. So Anita, the person in charge of losing races for the Democrats is Sherry Bustos. And she is supporting the person who does not live in your district, lost by more than you did last time around, even though she had the money advantage, purely based on money. Is that roughly correct? That's how we sum it up, yes. Yeah, okay, brilliant work on the part of Democratic leadership again. So whereas you won a three-way primary last time around, I know because I interviewed you. Uh, and you were outspent four to one, is that correct? That is correct. Yet the person who was outspent by a huge margin and won anyway, apparently is not good enough to run in this race because you don't have enough money and you're too progressive. So let's try to fix that, guys. Anita for Arizona.com. Anita for Arizona.com. Obviously, Anita can make your money go a long, long way because she knows how to win primaries. And she knows how to close leads on Republicans. So, but of course, 
look, now this is not your opinion, my opinion, I can't help but say it. It's the, the Sherry Busos of the world are not looking to see who has the best chance of winning. They're looking to see who's gonna spend the most amount of money with their consultant friends in Washington. So if you're wondering, like, this doesn't make any sense. Obviously, it is the better candidate, even if you're not a progressive, she clearly has a better chance of winning this race from the Republican in this seat. But Bustos and Pelosi and the Democratic Party, they don't care about that. They care about the money, the money, spend it with our consultant friends. So that's what this is about. Yes. Anyway, Anita, let's talk about policy for a second. Sure. What What is your stance on healthcare? I'm 100% Medicare for all. You know, this is a conservative district, but we have done a poll recently. Democratic, likely Democratic voters and Medicare for all won out over public option. I will say the conversation in this district is how do you get there, and we can talk about that and be pragmatic. But we have to have the bold vision for healthcare. And my family has gone through this, and I've seen it with my father, who passed away from cancer 17 years ago, where healthcare was then to where it is today, and not enough has been done. And to say that we will get there without a Medicare for all single payer type system is, is just not a reality. You know, my family is one of those families that's one third of American families that's in debt. Um, my husband suffered a catastrophic health event in the general election last year, even though we did so good. Um, he was in the hospital six weeks, and I'm battling with our insurance companies still to this day, one year later. So this is a priority of mine. It's about putting pain to purpose and making sure that we fix healthcare in this country once and for all. Look, you're a chief operating officer of a technology company, and you're still having trouble with your medical bills. Uh, the system in this country is insane. But I'm sure that the wealthy Democrat that was brought into your district when she doesn't even live there, she's probably for Medicare for all too because of how well it polls, right? You would think so, uh, but no. Uh, she is for public option, uh, kind of a Medicare for all who want it. If we steal those words from the presidential race, that is that is her plan and she calls it a plan. To me, that's what's egregious about that. I think that's a step. That's something that you know President Obama wanted, it's a step on that path to Medicare for all. It's not a plan and to deceive Americans to say this is going to fix the issue, it is not. It is just a step in that direction. It doesn't lower the cost of healthcare enough. It does bring more people into the system, which is wonderful. But the majority of Americans that are in debt, including our family, we had health insurance. We paid high premiums. We bought into a system that said, you know what? Too bad. You're not protected even though that's what we told you you had. And so Public option doesn't help me, doesn't help my family, and it's not enough. Yeah, uh, and again, uh, the Sherry Bustos of the world, uh, it's not just about who could beat Republicans, but if you win, they don't want you to pass Medicare for all. Now, notice they know how popular it is, that's why they call it Medicare for all for those who want it, the worst title in the world. Because but using Medicare to confuse, yeah. 100%, they know how <laughs> yeah. popular it is. That's why they try to yeah. latch onto it while then talking crap against it. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so have I mentioned uh, AnitaForArizona.com? AnitaForArizona.com, okay. Keep saying so, it, keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so links will be down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Just click on them, very easy. You can find out all of our policies. Okay, uh, Anita, let's talk about the Republican in the race. So. Yes. Uh, he's under an ethics investigation. So this is a red district, but you closed 14 points already. This time you can knock him out uh, because of this investigation. What's it about? So the investigation has been going on actually over a year now. 
what we didn't know last year was how broad the investigation was. It was expanded last the end of last year in December. We were notified, the public was told. And it's you know, it initially started as some misspending with his chief of staff, some extra salary money for his chief of staff um, through different corporate names, corporation names, but it's, it's expanded past that. And there's about five different things we're looking at. And one of them is how he actually spent some of our taxpayer dollars. So through his public office, using public office funds and public office staff to run campaign events and to do things for campaigns. So this investigation has been going on for over a year. He has now spent upwards of $800,000 in legal fees in that time. He continues to say, no big deal. You know, first it was an accounting error, then it was, you know, point the finger at a disgruntled ex-employee, um, but not taking any accountability for it for sure. And in this last quarter actually raised less than he brought in, which, you know, he's the incumbent. He doesn't need as much as any of us do. He has name ID, but the key part is his legal debt exceeds what he has in the bank. So this is a weakened incumbent for sure. Um, but it's still a red district. And what's frustrating about our primary and everything else that's going on, because I, I believe in primaries because uh, it's, it's about democracy. But at the end of the day, this primary is being kind of rigged uh, one way with money and endorsements. And the frustrating part of that is we shouldn't be fighting each other. We need to be focused on the Republican. And so we all just want a level playing field so we can all focus on David Schweiker. I believe that's what was successful in our race, race last time was that three of us ran, three of us ran hard. Uh, we engaged a district that had never been engaged. And through that, we were able to all come together and do something amazing. And we're not taking that lesson. We're not learning from last time. Suddenly this district is targeted. Everybody wants to play. I'm grateful as a member of this district for most of my life that somebody finally cares that it can be flipped. Uh, but you gotta understand the ground to do that. Yeah, first of all, in Schweikert, uh, a corrupt Republican, you don't say, huh? Yeah, uh, right? Yeah, I, I was told by Donald Trump uh, that uh, doling out contracts to family and friends was totally unacceptable. Hmm, yeah. I'm sure that he's gonna look forward to getting Schweikert out of office. Um, sure. <laughs> perhaps there's different rules for Republicans. Um, but look, in terms of how the primary is going, Anita, I'm maybe even more animated than you are. Yes, it's your race, but I yours is not the only one. I've now talked to right. a dozen people across the country who closed huge leads against Republicans and who's got them on the ropes and almost has the Republican beat. And the Democratic leadership comes in and goes, no, the person who did great should not get the funding, should not get the help. It should be our buddy who's rich and who's gonna make sure to vote against every progressive priority and who's gonna use our consultants. So I can't take it anymore. And look, uh, Anita for Arizona.com. <laughs> so uh, we, got, no, yeah. we got to help fellow progressives uh, and we got to help people who can actually win elections and who know how to win elections as you did last time and against all odds in the primary and almost in the general. Uh, sorry I talked so much Anita, but you've got great policies and a great fighting spirit. I want everybody to go to your website to check all that out and volunteer and donate if you can. Thank you so much for joining us again on the Young Turks, really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for having me. All right, okay guys, when we come back, a reporter that wrote an interesting article about how Pompeo might be considering attacking Turkey. Turkey's a NATO ally, that would be mental.
Are they really that crazy? Let's figure that out when we come back. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, now joining me, John Haltewanger. He is a politics reporter for Business Insider. Uh, John's written a really interesting piece uh, about the situation in Turkey and Syria, along with impeachment. John, welcome to the Young Turks. Hi there, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Uh, John, I hope we can get to impeachment in a second, but I, I gotta talk about your article uh, about uh, Mike Pompeo saying that if necessary, we might attack Turkey. What? Turkey's the second largest military in NATO, our top alliance. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Would, is that even remotely possible that two NATO countries would go to war? I mean, your reaction was precisely my reaction uh, when I saw the headline. Um, uh, you know, CNBC originally reported it, and, and I really had to read through to make sure that's what he said. I mean, I mean, it is shocking because they're essentially saying they would attack Turkey over an invasion that Trump gave a green light to, um, you know, the humanitarian crisis that we've seen in Syria uh, over the past two weeks or so was a, a direct product of Trump abandoning the Kurds and the allegations of war crimes we've seen from Turkey on the, against the Kurds is also a direct product of that. So if they're saying that they would a attack Turkey over that, they're essentially saying they would go after, as you, as you noted, a NATO ally uh, over a situation that's their fault uh, and in the process could uh, really put NATO in quite a, a quagmire in a paradoxical situation given Article 5, the core principle of NATO is that an attack on one member is an attack on all. Uh, and if two members attack each other, who knows what could happen. But in that case, according to Mike Pompeo, it would be America attacking Turkey. So would France, UK, Germany, etc., have to go to war against America? I mean, this is insanity. You know, this is a, this is like a hypothetical that you might bring up in a international relations course, but this is actually real life um, that, that we're talking about here. So I, I really don't have the answer to that. This is unprecedented territory, and, and it's uh, incredibly confusing. On top of the already convoluted situation that we're seeing in Syria. But John, there is one thing that's clear, right? That if America even threatening to go to war against another NATO ally, let alone actually doing it. Well, there is one country that loves that kind of talk, and that's Russia. They have got to be incredibly happy about these developments. Yeah, I think Russia is having its best month ever. I mean, they solidified a deal with Erdogan today, where they're basically going to get to share the northern Syrian border. Meanwhile. Trump is tweeting about good news uh, regarding Turkey and Syria. I'm not sure what he's referring to. I'm not sure if he if he thinks it's good news for the U.S. that he's pushed a NATO ally into the arms of Russia on top of abandoning another ally amid uh, reports of the use of chemical weapons against that ally, the Kurds I'm speaking of. Um, yeah, Russia is having a great time right now. Uh, you know, they already were a dominant player in Syria, but the U.S. moving aside really means that their dominance is really, is solidified. Um, so Putin's pretty happy. So I want to get back to the NATO alliance in a second, but what happens to the actual citizens living in that so-called safe zone? I mean, quite ironic title there. So I get that the Kurdish fighters have left and the Turks are now occupying it, apparently now with some degree of occupation from the Russians. But do you know what's happened to the citizens there? 
That's a really good question. I've been speaking to sources on the on the ground, trying to get a sense of that. You know, of course, I just alluded to the reports of of chemical weapon use. Um, it, it, this was, uh, you know, white phosphorus munitions and napalm. And these weapons are not technically banned in, uh, uh, you know, a conflict theater. But against civilians, that's, you know, more dubious territory. And there's evidence that they have been used against civilians. Um, and you know, I, I, that kind of suggests to me that life for the civilians, the, you know, not the forces, uh, could be pretty tough there. Um, you know, the, the Turks view uh, the YPG as as terrorists and could view civilians with suspicion as well in terms of uh, having uh, sympathies to uh, the SDF and the YPG. I mean, you raise a really interesting question that I don't really have a, a simple answer to. Yeah, and because... Look, there's a lot of complexity here. Israel also has used white phosphorus in the past, and then America goes, "Oh, white phosphorus is awesome." No, no problem when Israel uses it. They're using it against terrorists. When Turkey does it, they say we might attack you and cause the the complete breach of NATO by starting some sort of insane conflict that can't ever get resolved. That makes no sense. On the other hand, when Donald Trump says, "Well, Turkey's cleaning out that area," well, that sounds like ethnic cleansing, and yet, well, are we supposed to? Be happy about that. I mean, it's again, I can't see a single win in this scenario for the actual American interests. No, I, I think this is a massive loss uh, for the U.S. in terms of strategic interests, political interests, uh, and U.S. credibility. I mean, uh, I just had another article come out today on the on how this actually plays into the hands of the Taliban uh, because uh, right now, you know, Trump recently abandoned peace negotiations with the Taliban. And we've just learned from a New York Times report that the U.S. has quietly withdrawn roughly 2,000 troops from Afghanistan in recent months. And that was supposed to be big leverage in these uh, recently abandoned peace talks with the Taliban. And a Taliban negotiator has actually, has actually said uh, he's even criticized Trump's Syria retreat and kind of alluded to the fact that it plays right into the hands of the Taliban and shows you know, the Afghan security forces the U.S. has been allied with that they really have no reasons to trust the Trump administration moving forward in these talks. So see, John, I'm a progressive and I don't mind us getting out of the Middle East. I, in fact, I look forward to that. But for God's sake, we've got to do it with some degree of rationality. So sure. I mean, Donald Trump is so over all over the place. Oh, I'm gonna bring the Taliban to Camp David, what? Oh, never mind, I'm gonna retreat from the Tal uh, from Afghanistan and, and give the Taliban leverage. It seems like there's absolutely no rhyme or reason. So that leads me to my question, seriously, Who's in charge of the American government? Because right now there's a report out that the military, the Pentagon is planning an immediate withdrawal from Afghanistan in case Donald Trump does it on a whim. Pompeo seems to be saying the opposite of Donald Trump. Bolton used to say the complete opposite of Donald Trump on a regular basis. He's out, but Pompeo's still in. Who the hell's in charge? That's a very important question. I mean, there's absolutely no coherency to the foreign policy at the moment. And, and you know, I, I think you alluded to something that's on a lot of people's minds, which is that you know the, these endless wars, as Trump refers to them, have not been very uh, positive for the U.S. or for the world. And there's a lot of reason to want to get the U.S. out of the Middle East and out of these quagmires. Um, but I spoke with uh, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut about this last week, and he he essentially said to me, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a plan to withdraw from Syria. The problem is doing it without any plan whatsoever, and that's more or less what we're witnessing. Totally, now let's talk about two different hostages that are being held in these different scenarios. 
One is our soldiers, because we're not getting out of the endless wars. In fact, Donald Trump just brought in 1800 new American forces into Saudi Arabia to protect the oil fields. But John, since Iran cannot possibly do a land invasion of Saudi Arabia, the only thing that the US soldiers could possibly do in quote unquote protecting the oil fields is to serve as human shields. So is it now American foreign policy that we will put American forces as human shields on Saudi oil fields and Syrian oil fields? It seems to be the same as it ever was in that we are placing oil and natural resources above human lives. You know, We've also seen in the past day or so, Defense Secretary Mark Esper has signaled that the US might try to keep some troops in Syria to guard oil fields against uh, a, resurging, right. a resurging ISIS, which also uh, acknowledges the fact that ISIS is not in fact defeated uh, despite Trump's claims. So, you know, there's really not a coherent message whatsoever. You know, Trump is saying that he's ending endless wars, but no, you're right, he's not. Um, he's actually increased America's footprint in the Middle East since uh, entering the White House, especially in the Persian Gulf and in Saudi Arabia to counter uh, threats or alleged threats from Iran. And sure, as you said, I mean, this really, you know, what what does the US gain from this? You know, we're going to, we abandoned the Kurds, an ally that, you know, bore the brunt of the campaign against ISIS, losing 11,000 fighters in the process at least. But we're willing to put US lives at risk for Saudi Arabia, which arguably isn't even really an ally of the US, which is currently led by a very dubious leader uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who we know uh, from uh, multiple reports, uh, ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, it's it's all very baffling. Yeah, and and again, guys, he has increased the troops in the Middle East, not decreased them. He's just moved them from protecting human beings to protecting oil fields. And the only way they're protecting those oil fields is by being human targets or human shields there, saying to other countries, you better not attack uh, those fields because then you'll kill our soldiers and we'll attack you. That is not the proper way to use our troops, it's insane. Now, speaking of things that are improper, uh, I actually did not know this until I read your story, John. Uh, Apparently, Donald Trump accidentally admitted that we have 50 nuclear weapons in Turkey. Yes, so he broke protocol. I mean, this was something that, that I believe was, you know, well known um, and documented, but it, it, it's against US policy to admit the location of nuclear weapons. And, and Trump alluded to this, um, which again, in, in the series of uh, incredible headlines we've had over the past two weeks, uh, it's pretty astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, one last impossible question. If America and Turkey were to get into a military conflict, what happens to the American military base in Turkey with 50 nukes in it? Uh, again, that's an impossible question uh, and a huge concern. Um, I mean, that, that was actually when the news broke about what Pompeo said yesterday, our, our, our military and defense editor, the, he turned to me and he said, you know, we would attack a country where we have nukes. Um, it, 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 it would be completely counterintuitive. And Erdogan has actually signaled in recent days that he would like to be a nuclear power. Um, so this is all very complicated and confusing and concerning. Uh, it, it, the, the implications of the US attacking Turkey are just so utterly complex. You know, it, it's hard, we've, we've touched on some of it, but if we really wanted to touch on all of it, we'd probably need a few more hours. Yeah, well, luckily, there is a guy uh, who is a nuanced, sophisticated thinker in the White House who can sort all this out.
Yes. yes. <laughs> God yeah. help us all, man. We've got a madman sitting on top of the world and on top of all these nukes and on top of all these military conflicts, and he has no earthly idea what he's doing. Very stable genius. Very yeah, stable genius. yeah, that's right. All right, everybody, check out John's writing on businessinsider.com. Also, some great articles about impeachment as well. John, thanks so much for joining us on the Young Turks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, all right, guys. When we come back, the post game. So Bernie Sanders attacked. We've got an interesting defense of him. We also have the story about so-called women empowerment at Ernst and Young. Uh, this symposium that they put together was so demeaning towards women, it is stunning. I wanted to make sure that I shared a couple more details with you guys. This happened not a long time ago, but in the year 2018, that was last year. It's unbelievable. So we'll do that for the members when we come back at tyt.com slash join to become a member. We'll see you there in a minute.